Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. So glad to see that so many of you have come back. That's a good sign. I'm just a minute. I have a couple of announcements to share. Okay, I want to tell you guys about something coming up. September 24th, there is a, um, a women's conference day at, first, at Foundation Methodist Church in Belton, and it's called United in Faith, and they are inviting women from area churches to come and to, to be together for an amazing day, and they've asked four community speakers to, to speak that day, and I will be one of the speakers so I would love for as many of you to come as, as can. It's September 24th, and I'm going to be sending a link to all of your leaders to send out in an email today. Um, you can also find this um, if you got our newsletter. Uh, there was a link to that. Um, it's on the hub of our website if you want to go there to sign up. Um, there's a small fee for lunch. It's, it's like from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., and it's going to be a great day. We're going to have a lot of fun together, so I hope some of you can come. We also have um, a guest today. Uh, her name is Lydia Lowe. She is from the Good News Club, and she would like to share a few things with us today. So would you all help me welcome Lydia? I'm going to try to hold this microphone for her while she talks. Where would you like me? Which side? I better get on this side. I don't have a stand for her today. May I ask you to raise your hand if you agree with these statements. Number one, there are many children in our world today who need Jesus. Statement number two, do you agree with Jesus' words in Matthew 18, 14 when he says, it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And statement number three, there are children and youth who will grow up to be adults and spend eternity separated from God if someone does not share the gospel of Jesus with them. Okay, thank you. Jesus tells us how powerful our faith can be. In Matthew 17, 21, he refers to faith like the grain of a mustard seed. So I brought some seed packets today. And I'm going to encourage you to join with me in planting some seeds of faith. What if each one of us present today had faith the size of a mustard seed? What if all of us would plant seeds of faith this school year and ask the Lord to bring a, a harvest? Do you hear the Lord saying, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white unto harvest. Good News Club is one of the ministries that fall under the umbrella of Child Evangelism Fellowship. Good News Clubs meet children right where they are, in public schools, in elementary schools. A Good News Club is an after-school Bible club. It meets weekly, and it is a club in which the children can hear a Bible lesson they sing fun songs, they are encouraged to memorize scripture, and an invitation is given each week in Good News Club so that children can receive Jesus as their savior. 
A second ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship are called party clubs. A party club is another opportunity for children to hear the gospel, but they last only about 45 minutes in length. Party clubs are a little bit different from good news clubs because they can be conducted anywhere. A party club, can you could, you could conduct one at a YMCA center, at an apartment complex, at a park on a really nice fall day. And we are encouraging throughout Central Texas for people to get involved with especially Christmas party clubs. CEF offers different curriculum for party clubs. So it would be very possible if you would choose to give just about 45 minutes a month to use one curriculum in November, go back to maybe that same location, that same group of children, tell, share a different Christmas party club in December, and then follow up even with the third one right at the beginning of January. Um, the state director has told me if, if any of you all are willing to commit to conducting three party clubs, they will provide all the curriculum to you at no charge, so it would not cost you anything. If you would like to come learn more about Christmas party clubs, how simple they are to conduct, how fun they are for the children, then we are offering training on October the 1st from nine till noon. I have placed um, flyers on each of your tables and I ask you to take one please. And you are certainly welcome to bring a friend with you to party club training. The Lord has been opening my eyes to look at his harvest field. And I know that it's going to take all of us in order to reach the children in Central Texas with the good news of Jesus. I would like for you to just think about one thing. Are, may I safely say there's close to a hundred of us here today? More than a hundred. Okay. So what if, what if 100 of us, myself included, what do you think the Lord of the Harvest would do if we could commit to conducting three party clubs? Say if you have 30 to 35 children at one of those clubs, but you go in November and go back in December and go back in early January and keep planting seeds of faith, then you, by the end of those three party clubs, you could have shared the gospel with 100 children. And what if 100 of us would each share the gospel with 100 children? Do you realize that would be 10,000 children that would hear the gospel this, this Christmas season. It is the goal for East Texas, um, the Central Texas chapter of, of Good News Clubs, Child Evangelism Fellowship, we fall under East Texas. And East Texas has set a goal of 100,000 children hearing the gospel this year through Christmas party clubs. So I just encourage you to very Prayerfully consider joining us in helping us to reach the goal. If you would like more information about serving in a Good News Club, um, you, you all, from members of Temple Bible Church, you all are sponsoring a club just right across the street at Thornton Elementary. 
But you all, Thornton Elementary is the only elementary school right now in Temple that has a Good News Club. We have six clubs in um, Belton ISD, and we have about, mm, I don't have the number memorized. We have, I think, eight to 10 in Colleen ISD, um, but we need, we need more in Temple. So if you would like to consider working in a good news club in the spring semester, if you could contact me, my uh, email and my phone number are on the flyer. I would be very happy to talk with you. And there's information about party club training on the flyer as well. So I, I brought my watering can and my seeds and I just am asking you if you would prayerfully consider helping to plant some seeds of faith in Central Texas. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lydia. able to get that okay all right <clears throat> let me set this down over here all right we're going to um to take a second to stand up and say our memory verse together and pray and then we'll get into today's lesson so let's read together proverbs 3 5 and 6 Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for the opportunity to gather as your, as your people, as your daughters, to declare your goodness, and to just rest in you together, to trust you more fully God, we're thankful for what Lydia has shared with us of how you are planting seeds in the hearts of children all throughout Central Texas. And we just pray for, for her. We pray for all the good news clubs that are going on even as we speak. And we just pray, God, for continued uh, fruit in that ministry. Would you please rise up people to, um, to host new clubs in Temple, if it be your will. God, we, um, we just want to Thank you for placing us uh, in the groups that we're in as we've continued to get to know one another. Would you bind our hearts together? Would you remind us to pray for one another this week? Would you encourage us through our groups? And now, God, I'm asking you to help us as we, as we talk about these five wisdom books this morning. Would you, would you speak to us? Would you show us something new? Would you help us to, um, to listen well? And would you give us the courage to go out and, and live for you, even this day? We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, my three grown children were gone all summer long. And I was very sad. And I was very nostalgic as I was preparing this lesson. And so one day I was looking through some old photos and I realized that most of my treasured memories with my children were the very simple things, like reading and singing to them. Now you can see this was a very long time ago. <laughs> my kids were like your kids. They asked a lot of complicated questions, and sometimes only a story or a song would do. Now when they were little, like the picture on the left, and these are just two of my three. I'm, I was sad I couldn't find a picture of Hannah. But these are my two sons. When they were little, we would read simple rhymes, and we would look at and point to pictures. But 
As they developed and matured, we would read more complex stories. But the goal was always the same thing, to teach them deep and fundamental truths in ways that their little minds could understand. So whether they were super engaged, like, on, like Jacob on the right there, or whether they were spacing out and playing with my arm like Jonah on the left, I wanted them to love God, to know how to follow him, and to know that they were loved. Well, I think we all in this room, we, innate, we innately want to read to and sing to our kids or our grandkids or our nieces or our nephews or our friends because we are made in the image of a good father. He taught Israel and he teaches us deep and fundamental truths in ways that our little minds and hearts can understand. Zephaniah 3.17 says that God quiets us with his love and he rejoices over us with singing. So some truths God, need to, God needed to sing over us. Some he needed for us to read aloud as poetry. Some were told as metaphors or riddles. And some needed to be spoken as speeches or as stories. And these are what I think are the Psalms and the wisdom books of the Old Testament. Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs. These books work together, and they nuance one another. They really compel us towards an honest faith, and they help us deal with emotions that we cannot dismiss and questions that we cannot answer sometimes. So today we're going to ask some hard questions about how the world works, and I'm going to start by telling you a book or a song that I used to read or sing with my children that addressed that question. And then we're going to explore how each wisdom book attempts to do the same thing, all the while pointing us to ultimate wisdom in Jesus Christ. So we're going to ask these questions this morning. Who can we trust in Job? How can we rest in Psalms? How should we live in Proverbs? Where can we find meaning in Ecclesiastes? And then finally, what is love in Song of Songs? So our first question is, who can we trust? Now for my children, I don't know about you, I often turned to my favorite 20th century philosopher, and his name was Winnie the Pooh, <laughs> to answer this question. Now, in the Hundred Acre Wood, Pooh had a lot of friends, but who could he really trust? Loyal Piglet, Wise Owl, Cynical Rabbit, the Realist Eeyore, Optimistic Tigger, or Nurturing Kanga? Now, these were all great friends, but they would all let Pooh down in one way or another. What made Pooh profoundly wise and at peace is that he knew that he could trust the love of his master. Christopher Robin. He once said to him, I am never afraid when I'm with you. I think you're going to see the same thing in Job. Now, Job is the oldest story of the whole bunch. I think it's one that was told over and over, generation by generation, especially by Israelite moms like you and me, to their children. I think this was a story that was told long before it was ever written down. Now, Job's author and the date that it was written are unknown. 
We just don't know when the book came together. But many believe that it could have been the very first book ever written in our Bible. The story, we know, is set sometime around the time of Abraham. So maybe as early as 2100 B.C., a long time ago, somewhere between Genesis 11 and Genesis 12, where there's a big gap of time, is when this story took place. Now, it takes place east of Eden, or outside of the land of Canaan, in the land of Uz. And the central character, Job, is not an Israelite. He doesn't know about Abraham or his family yet. And yet he has this deep and very profound relationship with the Lord that we're going to be studying about this week. Now, the book of Job concerns itself with a key question of faith. Can God be trusted? Is he good and just in his rule of the world, even if he allows suffering? Now, the author of the story is more concerned about the triumph of faith in the time of suffering than the question, why we suffer. And I think a lot of times we try to read Job asking that question, why do we suffer? But it's not going to answer that. It's asking, can God be trusted even when we suffer? And so to this end, the hero, Job, is going to succeed. I think the key verse of Job, if you want to open your Bibles, I encourage you to do this. We're going to flip to one for every book. I think the key verb is, or verse is Job 13, 15. I'll give you a second to find it. In Job 13, 15, Job confidently declares this about God. He says, Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will argue my ways to his face. I just love that passage. We're going to sing a song about that next week. Job's resolve to love and trust his God, even though he doesn't understand everything about his ways is going to be evident throughout this book as you read it. Well, Job uniquely points us to Jesus. I think it just blows me away, really, because he is speaking long before the prophets or the scribes of Israel ever described a Messiah or what he would look like. And yet Job declares in chapter 19, verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer lives. And that at the last he will stand upon the earth. How did Job know that? It just blows me away. He's describing a redeemer who, like Job, will be an innocent man who suffers in unthinkable ways, but who glorifies God through his angst and doubt with wholehearted trust. But unlike Job, he's describing Jesus, our redeemer who will defeat Satan's schemes once and for all through his crucifixion and his resurrection. I'm super excited for you to be in Job this week, and I, want you, I hope you're excited to spend time there. Well, our second question this morning is how can we rest? And this is a question I'm sure every tired mama out here in the room is, is wanting to know for your little one even today. Have you noticed that all of us, whether we have a good voice or not, feel compelled to try to sing to our children. It's just innate in us. We know, <laughs> we inherently know that babies are somehow lulled and soothed by songs sung even poorly by someone who loves them when they feel safe. 
And that's why we call those songs lullabies. So I loved to sing lullabies to my children. And this was one of my favorite CDs. And yes, I only had CDs when my children were little. No phones to play music on. And this was my favorite CD that we would sing and dance to, sometimes all afternoon, sometimes all night. <laughs> um, but I loved this one in particular. Michael Card, he sings such profound truths. And they always pointed me and my children to Jesus. Well, I think the Psalms are the lullabies that God sings over us. Poems that were written over hundreds of years and then set to music. Many of the 150 psalms were written by a shepherd boy turned king who we studied about a couple of, a couple of falls ago, King David. He's the most prolific and well-known author, but there are many other authors of, of the psalms. Even Moses wrote one of the psalms. These were songs that Israel sang for centuries, long before they were ever collected into a book and put together like we have them now, 150 of them. Sometimes people call it the Psalter. And these songs express every emotion that you can possibly imagine, from love to anger to doubt to sorrow. Yet no matter what the circumstance, the psalm always compels us to rest in God's goodness and his sovereignty. There's so many verses to choose from to pick a key verse in Psalms, but I chose Psalm 116, verse 7, if you want to turn there. <clears throat> Here, David says, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Now, the Psalms are categorized into five books, and they cover lots of different topics. Topics like lament and praise and thanksgiving. Some just are expounding upon the goodness of God's law. There are royal psalms that describe the reign of Jesus, the reign of God. There are psalms of repentance. Historical psalms that just tell us all kinds of interesting narrative stories about Israel. And then there are messianic psalms. Psalms that so uniquely point us to Jesus. Now we're going to take five weeks and we're going to go slowly through the Psalms. So even though there's 150, you won't have to read them all in one week. And we're going to group them into the following topics. You'll see this in your book. The songs that Jesus sang, blessing and perishing in the Psalms, the royal Psalms, repentance in the Psalms, and the messianic Psalms that highlight the suffering and the glory of the Messiah. So the Psalms are very unique in how they point us to Jesus because they are the very songs that he quoted and that he sang during his ministry here on this earth. In fact, he's going to quote Psalm 22 on the cross, and I think that's going to be a really rich lesson for us as we study that. But at the same time, while Jesus is singing these words and saying these words, he is the object of every poem's longing. He is the object, he's the fulfillment of every promise <clears throat> that God is going to give us in the Psalms. So they're really going to help us to see Jesus, I think, in a new way. Okay, <clears throat> the next question is a very practical one that I think we all want to know. How should we live? And to that end, I used to love to read Aesop's fables with my kids 
because I loved for my dad to read them to me when I was a little girl, and I remember him doing that so often. There are many lessons to learn in these ancient stories that were written, can you believe it, in the 6th century by a Greek slave? That means they were written over 2,800 years ago. So maybe you remember stories like The Boy Who Cried Wolf or The Tortoise and the Hare. Those are two of the best-known ones. But there, is, there are actually 725 of Aesop's fables. One of my favorites is called The Grasshopper and the Ant. Did anybody read that one? Yeah? Okay. So it tells the story of a grasshopper who has spent his whole summer just lollygagging around, singing and dancing and goofing off, while the ant and his family worked really hard and stored up a lot for the winter. But when the winter arrives, the grasshopper comes begging the ant, saying, would you please share your food? And the ant just rebukes him for being so lazy and idle. Well, you're going to be surprised because you're going to see a story just like that in the Proverbs. Now, Proverbs were also ancient stories. They're made up of riddles and words of wisdom written by the wisest, and I think we learned last fall perhaps the most foolish, king of Israel, King Solomon in the 10th century BC, somewhere between 970 and 931 where his, was when he reigned. So last fall, we read in 1 Kings chapter 4 that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the peoples of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. And he spoke, it said in, in 1 Kings, 3,000 proverbs. And his songs were 1,005. So he likely put these, we don't have that many in the book of Proverbs, so he wrote even more than what we will, what we will be looking at. But he likely compiled this book early on in his reign when he was very young and idealistic. He thought this is the way the world should work. And the Proverbs describe general principles of wisdom rather than promises of how things will always turn out. And that's why it's important to read them with Ecclesiastes, which he writes much later. The purpose of the Proverbs is spelled out right, right off the bat if you want to open up to Proverbs chapter 1. It tells us what they were written for right away. Verses 1 through 4. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So Solomon wanted to instill wisdom in God's people. And he's pretty positive in this book that he has figured it out. So we'll see in chapters 1 through 9, he's going to tell us a lot of speeches that were made from a father to a son about choosing wisdom. And he's going to personify wisdom as a woman, Lady Wisdom, in chapters 1 through 9. And then in chapters 10 through 30, he's going to give us a lot of little sayings, little short, wise sayings and parables and riddles about how the world works according to wisdom and how the world works according to folly. And then he's going to wrap it all up with that dreaded chapter of the Bible that all women love, Proverbs 31, a song of praise for this excellent woman who embodies all of the wisdom of the book. So we're going to talk about her a little bit when we get there. (laughs) 
Well, I think the key verse of Proverbs is our memory verse. So I want to ask you to say it with me one more time. This time it's not going to be on the screen. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. That's really what all of wisdom is trying to encourage us to do, is to trust the Lord wholeheartedly. We'll learn that in the Proverbs. Well, the Proverbs uniquely point us to Jesus. When Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we will see in our study that to fear the Lord is to believe the gospel. Paul will remind us in 1 Corinthians 1.24 that Jesus is, in fact, the power of God and the wisdom of God in whom we put our trust. And even Jesus said about himself in Matthew 12, 42, someone greater than Solomon is here. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad because Solomon was not one of my favorites. You guys know that. <laughs> okay, we're going to have fun in Proverbs. Well, the next question, maybe the hardest question of the bunch, is where can we find meaning? And I just want you to know that I struggled very much with excessive reasoning with all my children, but especially my middle son. He wanted to philosophize about every rule that we had, everything that we did. He wanted to know why, why, why. And he would ask it thousands of times. <clears throat> and my husband helped me with this mantra that we would use in response to him very specifically. Obey first, ask questions later. <laughs> and the idea was, trust us, Jacob, we have a really good reason for everything that we are asking you to do. And I think it's the same with God. We can ask questions all day long. In fact, he really wants us to ask. He welcomes the why questions. But his answer is always going to be the same to us. Trust me and obey first. Well, I think the, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes wants us to get that very same message. <clears throat> now, we don't know who the author actually is, but if you look in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1, we learn that for much of the book, he is writing about the, the words of a teacher or a preacher of Israel. And he describes this preacher as a son of David, and so we likely know, or we, we mostly feel like he was writing about Solomon. Solomon is the one who is going to be speaking throughout this book. Now he's speaking to a gathering of people. You remember in Greek that when a, when a group of people gather, it's called an ecclesia. And we, that's how we get the word ecclesiastes. He is speaking to a gathering of people, an ecclesia. And he is... He's, he's talking a little later in his life, and he's not quite so sure that, he, that everything that he said in Proverbs is really working out the way that he thought it would. In fact, he's going to repeat to the people more than 38 times, life is just utterly meaningless. Maybe another way to say it is life is just a vapor. Everything I thought was supposed to happen just hasn't really happened the way I thought it would. There are going to be more questions than answers in the book of Ecclesiastes. 
And I just want you to know it's kind of depressing for a lot of it. And we're free to ask those, those hard and difficult and depressing questions. But the key verse is going to come in the conclusion of Ecclesiastes. And this is where the author kind of sums up everything that he's heard Solomon say. And he gets to, to Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. And he says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So I love Ecclesiastes for that reason. I love how it ends. But Ecclesiastes points us very uniquely to Jesus because he, Jesus, will be the only source of meaning in our lives. Paul said it well in Philippians 3 verse 8. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Okay, well, our last question is one that I think every child is mesmerized by. What is love? And like it or not, since 1928, our culture has had one primary source of age-appropriate love stories for children. Anybody have a guess? Disney, yeah. So even though you may not like the company, Maybe I couldn't wholeheartedly endorse every princess story. Um, <laughs> we, my family, we just brought right into it. My kids watched every Disney movie ever made. We went to Disneyland. We went to Disney World. But one story that I could really get behind, the one that was different to me than all of the others that I talked to my kids about a lot, was the tale as old as time, Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast is a cautionary tale about what happens when a young man loves himself more than others. And he has to learn to love selflessly and to find someone who will love him for his character rather than his outward appearance. He meets this kind and misunderstood girl named Belle, and together they find the essence of true love, sacrifice, and commitment. And so at the end, when they're dancing to this song, Tale as Old as Time, Angela Lansbury is singing it, you kind of get the idea that this is a love song for the ages. Well, Song of Solomon is also called Song of Songs for the very same reason. For the ancient Near East, it was the love song of all love songs. And it was the best of a very common genre of the day, erotic love poetry. Can you believe that? <laughs> that was a common genre. Well, I think it also has an element like Beauty and the Beast of a cautionary tale. It's unclear to scholars whether this book was written by Solomon or in his honor by another source. But it was definitely written during Solomon's reign as king. Now, the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs contains beautiful and sensuous poetry expressing romantic love between a young shepherd and a young maiden in ancient Israel. Now, some people see it as an allegory about the love of God for his bride Israel, and thus the love of Christ for his church. Some see it as an anthology of all of these poems that kind of got put together, these interrelated love poems, and it's not telling a single story. And then others see it as a cautionary tale about love. We'll try to explore all of those ideas 
Um, but we will address the elephant in the room when we study this book. What in the world does sex have to do with all of this? So if that alone does not get you to stay to the end, I don't know what will to hear Amy Jimenez talking about sex. But we will, but we will do it. <laughs> so no matter what the final interpretation is of Song of Songs, I think that it teaches us that romantic love is both wonderful and dangerous at the same time. I think the key verse kind of really sums that up. So look at Song of Solomon's chapter 8, verse 6, where it says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. It points us to Jesus as the answer for the intimacy we all long for, to know and to be fully known. Jesus is, in fact, the lover of our souls. And in him, we all, whether you are married or not, whether you have a great marriage or you have a difficult one, we all have true intimacy with God in Christ. And in him, we all will live happily ever after. Well, as we study these books this semester, I hope that we can receive them like these two little boys, receive the stories and the songs that we sang together. May we hear the story of Job, the songs of the Psalms, the poems of Proverbs, the speech of Ecclesiastes, and the love song of the Song of Songs with joy and wonder and love for the one who sings over us, for the one who welcomes all of our questions and comforts us with stories that our little hearts can understand. Well, I want to close today with just a little segment from that lullaby CD I mentioned earlier from Michael Card. I'm not going to play the whole song, just a little portion of it. And it's called, Even the Darkness is Light to Him. This was my favorite song to sing with my kids. It comes from Psalm 139. And I just thought it would be a great way to reflect and meditate as we, as we move into our study of Job this week. Because Job is going to walk through the darkness of suffering. And it's so comforting to know that to God, even the darkness is light. So let's listen to this, and then I'll pray. Even the darkness is light to him. Night is as bright as the day So you are safe though the light grows dim For even the darkness is light to him The Father above does not slumber or sleep He wakefully watches our ways Then there's no reason for you slumbers nor sleeps So dry your eyes of angel blue and trust the one who died for you Would not Jesus safely keep the little ones he loves asleep Even the darkness is light to him 
night is as bright as the day. So you are safe though the light grows dim, for even the darkness is light to him. God, we're so thankful that even the darkness is light to you, that you're with us in our suffering, that Jesus knows our suffering so personally and well. He was willing to come and suffer with us and for us and on our behalf so that we could be with you. And so we're just, we just want to rest in that as we study the book of Job this week. Would you help us? Would you give us just the energy we need to read this long book and to, to work on it together? And would you teach us something new about your son in Job? Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.